That's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Miller, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Ghost Goal Podcast. I know we're a little later this week. I know it's a little bit off schedule from what uh, we're used to, but these are very different times. These are... Uh, extenuating circumstances to the max. Since we last released a podcast to you guys, uh, I think a week and a half ago, we were releasing a preview podcast in the build-up to the Premier League games that weekend that uh, eventually were suspended. So uh, things have been a little hectic in terms of scheduling. Uh, You know, Andrew's not had access to his recording equipment. Javier's busy. Everyone's, you know, trying to stay afloat during this very difficult time. But I'm Alex, here on the Ghost Skull Podcast, uh, hanging in there doing remote work. Uh, we're here to talk a little bit about some of the coronavirus updates. Some of them you may have heard uh, already, but you know we'll try to get people caught up since last time uh, we discussed this whole situation a week and a half ago. Uh, but I'm here with my younger brother, Hugo, who is uh, obviously another diehard Chelsea fan. We're going to get in some big picture Chelsea topics. A little bit later in the pod, but Hugo, thank you for coming on with me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, it. We were just here at our uh, <laughs> at our parents' place, bullshitting around on a Friday night, having a few drinks, playing some FIFA, and we decided, why not make something of this time? Yeah. Jump on the mic, talk a little <laughs> bit about these uh, these crazy times, and then talk about our favorite club that we were raised uh, supporting, Chelsea. Well, of course jump into that a little bit later. If you guys are willing to stick around for a bit, listen, because uh, I, I do want to talk about some of the seismic announcements in uh, especially Premier League English football that have happened over the last week. And and European football at large as well. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously... Hugo, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but we're a Premier League-focused podcast. Yeah. We'll talk about other stuff from time to time. Yeah. Champions League, uh, some, you know, catch up with some uh, league information or league news around the continent every now and then. Uh, but I feel like the, this time, if anything, has been kind of a reminder of how connected the Premier League and English football is at large to European football and other leagues. Like with a threat like this that threatens all countries almost equally, it's just kind of a reminder of how each league, as different as they are, are threatened by the same things and are all going to have to figure out their own ways moving forward to come to like reasonable conclusions of how they're going to end the season. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a challenge for everyone. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that in a second. I do just want to mention, in case anyone hasn't heard the news, uh, we recorded our pod, our last podcast uh, last Wednesday, I want to say the 11th or 10th of March. Uh, and then I think the next day or so after it was released, uh, when we were previewing those Premier League games that were coming up that weekend that included, I think, a Manchester United-Tottenham game, a Chelsea-Everton home game. There were some big games going on that weekend that we had no uh, inclination that they were going to be 
uh, even played behind closed doors. The Premier League had stood fast by the uh, the, the standpoint that they were going to continue on without any postponements, while every other league in Europe seemed to be sort of closing down around them. But the news finally got announced Friday night, the day after the Premier League had announced they weren't going to suspend games. Mikel Arteta, Friday night, the night before Arsenal's game away at uh, Brighton, I believe, uh, was confirmed to have been tested positive for the uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, there were a couple other names that were released. Callum Hudson-Odoi for Chelsea, who we're surely going to talk about a little bit later as huge Chelsea fans. And, you know, similar to the NBA's announcement that we did discuss on that last podcast, uh, once the players and managers and people really involved in the game at the Premier League level were confirmed to be you know, positive for the virus and yeah. a virus that's the most, uh, you know, infective airborne virus that we've encountered in I don't know, recent people. memory. Yeah. Yeah. Recent memory. It makes for it sure. real. It makes it real. Like seeing those names like confirmed, it had the same effect it had with Donovan Mitchell and those NBA guys where it just really, you had that connection where you knew these top class athletes where their bodies, their currency, like that's their main asset. Seeing them test positive for it, it's like, it's devastating and it just makes you want to like protect that within the league, prevent the spread as we want to do, obviously, in general. But Yeah, so I mean, obviously, since that time, so much has changed, not only in uh, the news cycle, but in people's attitudes towards this whole pandemic. Yeah. Where I think it's fair to say even a week ago, you could have a conversation with someone that uh, would come back to you and say, this is completely ridiculous. Why are they postponing or suspending anything? Mm-hmm. Whereas now, a week later, only seven days removed from these kinds of announcements and people having those, you know, I guess, negative reactions towards uh, the announcements of all these suspended leagues. Yeah. Seven days later, it seems to be the general consensus that everyone is saying this was a good thing. It's it definitely good that we yeah. suspended I think, the leagues. I think those announcements helped bring about that viewpoint, too. Once people yeah. heard that like people they admired, some of their favorite athletes, actors, etc., once they heard that they had contracted it, that kind of made them understand the severity of the situation and accept like we need to take these measures, these serious of measures, like because they're necessary. So and, you know we're getting all the same information that I, I would suspect most other people are getting. So you know I'm not going to try to act like a you know Expert. crystal ball <laughs> reader, like trying to predict how this will affect the schedule and what's going to happen. The, the real answer that if anyone else is saying anything other than we have no idea what's going to happen with Premier League uh, league games being suspended, uh, other leagues in Europe and around the world being suspended, when they'll pick up again. We just don't know. It's too early. Time is uh, honestly our biggest enemy right now with this thing is the, the main thing I've come away with. We need to just take it each day at a time, mm-hmm. see where we end up from there and uh, what our results day by day are. And if they end up being positive then yeah who knows maybe the uh, this current premier league uh season gets rescheduled and we get back to playing games in the summer we just don't know so we'll maybe leave that discussion for uh experts a week. <laughs> yeah experts but also like a week or two from now when yeah we, maybe have we do have some more some more information it's only been a week and i don't know about you but each day has felt like a i've week. learned three <laughs> or four new announcements about this yeah. thing and about yeah. Sports in general, that it's it, it's yeah. hard to. You got to defer. You got to defer to healthcare professionals in this situation. This is a soccer exactly. show. Limited expertise. Right. Take it. Take it a day every day at a time. Some. Yeah. So some other important competitions that uh, have been suspended due to circumstances caused by the coronavirus. 
Uh, the champions in Europa League, obviously European competition was suspended after the round of 16. Uh, or actually, the round of 16 wasn't even completed. Chelsea right. didn't even get to play their game against Bayern Munich. Uh, it, the, the competition was just suspended. Uh, Euro 2020 that was scheduled to be played all over the European continent this summer uh, was, of course, suspended until uh, next year, 2021. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's having immediate ramifications and near future ramifications into the summer where uh, this competition, the uh, club European championship competition was obviously suspended with the, in anticipation of league seasons, trying to pick up in the summer and trying to finish their leagues, like trying to leave that possibility open. Uh, But you know, that seemed like the sensible decision. Um, It's, it's a crazy time, man. Like, I mean, for any, like whether you're a Serie A fan or a premier league fan, any league play fan wants to know what month will I be watching my team in? What month month will I be paying attention to this team? When will the games be? How many will there be? Because there might be, you know, different configurations to how many games are played depending on how much time we have and how how late this thing goes away. So it's it's good that the Euros were postponed because it allows the leagues more time. But it could this situation could be so severe that it doesn't matter that this goes into the summer. And we don't even have time to finish the leagues, regardless of the Euro being postponed. So we're going to yeah. see at least at least they have more breathing room. It would be nice to be like to see a conclusion to these leagues, but if there aren't, I mean that's the way it's got to be because there's there's bigger concerns right now. I, I just w- wonder what each of the countries are thinking in terms of how they're going to bring their leagues to a conclusion. Well, then, then there's another question on top of that of of uh, whether each of the individual federations and countries slash leagues can even come to their own uh, resolution of the problem or whether there needs to be leadership from the top down from yeah. UEFA in order to keep some sort of semblance of, uh, you know, formality to yeah. every league that's trying to, you know, yeah. decide their Champions League and Europa I League mean, places. I, I think from a UEFA standpoint, you should definitely allow each of the federations, each of like the footballing associations of each country to decide the league and to bring it to a conclusion they way, the way they want to do it, whether it's outright cancellation or stuffing a bunch of fixtures into a month. But regardless of that, the only thing that needs to be uniform, absolutely, is the four teams that are presented for the Champions League and then obviously your, your Europa League qualifiers. So as long as those are decided on, it doesn't really matter outside of that how they handle... I mean, however any single association wants to handle their relegation teams that could be you know that could be different between leagues there's gonna be a lot of legal battles about yeah. this kind of stuff regardless so it's gonna uh, be endless so as we mentioned a second ago Callum Hudson Odoi uh, in regard to the Chelsea side of this uh, coronavirus reaction he was the first player uh, the, the same day as Mikel Arteta was announced he was uh, he had been uh, tested positive for coronavirus I think it was an hour or two later that uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, the announcement came out that he had tested positive, had very mild symptoms, and he even posted a video that same night saying he'd recovered and was putting himself in isolation, trying to do the responsible thing, trying to keep himself from in, uh, infecting anyone else, uh, which it was obviously great to see. He's a young kid, 19 years old. Uh, it was... I don't want to say, like, when I saw the announcement, I was, like, actually worried that something terrible might happen to him. It was just, it was just a very, it, it made me realize the event a bit more. That, like, yeah. 
this guy who's, you know, he's younger than you. He's 19 years old, just yeah. turned 19. He's a kid that I've personally been watching since he was like 15 or 16 in the academy. Yeah, he's like at that, peak health. To, yeah, to see that kind of announcement come out was really jarring for me as a big fan of his and obviously a big fan of Chelsea. Uh, there, uh, the thing that I was kind of waiting for after that announcement was for more Chelsea players to be confirmed, frankly. Yeah. But he's uh, Callum's been in, uh, I think, recovering from an injury the last few weeks, a pulled hamstring. So he's been away from the squad for the most part. Uh, but the, the whole club went into isolation as a, as a result. Uh, it helped push things along, along with the Mikel Arteta announcement uh, for the Premier League to suspend the season until I, I didn't think I mentioned it before but they suspended the season uh, initially until the beginning of April now it's suspended as of two days ago uh, until April 30th the end of April so yeah. a, a significant suspension again we don't know how long that's or how that's going to affect the end of the season but uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi's uh, announcement as being tested positive for that was a huge uh, catalyst along with Arteta for forcing those kinds of decisions to be made that needed to be made so um i, I think for hudson odoi it was it was a benefit to everyone that he happened to be injured for these like just recently so that means that he was removed from the squad he was not around the squad as as much which kind of settled our anxieties about because we saw in the nba and in other leagues if one player had it there were obvious spreads to at least another handful of players so i think the fact that he was removed from the squad for at least the last few weeks, regardless of whether or not he was symptomatic, that is probably a benefit, and that's what has kept all of our other players safe and healthy. Yeah, and it, and again, news is changing day to day. We may post this yeah. tomorrow and like find out Kovacic positive. Twenty <laughs> other Premier League players have tested positive. It, it's really it's really hard to tell uh, right now. But you know that was one slight positive we could take away uh, from that announcement. Uh, a few other things I think are going to be really affecting Chelsea specifically during this coronavirus outbreak. And frankly, this ties into many other teams because most teams structure their contracts around uh, their player contracts around the typical league season that ends in or in around May for every uh, league in Europe. Uh, and the transfer window opens beginning of July, 1st of July. So whatever players they sign contracts to, they're usually signed until the end of June. Uh, Willian is currently one of those players. Also, uh, Olivier Giroud, is, mm -hmm. he signed a one-year extension uh, last year, so he's, he's, he's free to go anywhere, and there was plenty of transfer speculation surrounding him. But he seems to, in these last weeks, even after the uh, suspension of the season due to the coronavirus outbreaks, he seems to, Giroud specifically, seems to be much more agreeable to the idea of coming back to Chelsea because of the recent chances he's gotten. He, yeah. he understands now and he feels proven that the club, the manager, obviously, uh, and all, all the other players in the squad respect him and rely on him and know that if there is some kind of uh, small injury to Tammy Abraham, Olivier Giroud is a, is a tried and true veteran yeah. that I think all Chelsea fans would be happy to have back. Mm -hmm. Because even when all those rumors were coming out about him being uh, linked to other clubs, you never heard anything directly from him. You never yeah. heard anything leaked from him. You just heard things from other clubs in in Syria, in France. All of their sources were leaking things that those clubs were interested in him. And he would he's transparent. He says to Chelsea TV in interviews, I was looking to leave because I was trying to get playing time 
so that I could be included in the France Euro 2020 squad this summer. That's mm-hmm. perfectly respectable. Yeah, reasonable. Obviously, so many things have changed since then. I think his goal at this point is stay at home, stay where you're valued, where I think at this point, after the four or five games he had as the first-team striker... Yeah, he's on and up. He's on and up. He's shown that he can not necessarily be fully fit, but also but still make such a big impact on the game. Yeah, and I think that this whole period has kind of reminded us, and and the I think at the begin in the beginning of the season, in the first half of the season, we assume that because Frank didn't fancy him and didn't pick him as the main option in his system, we thought, oh well, he must not work in the system. But we never really got to saw it, got to see it. So now that we've seen it, we kind of understand that. Even though he's stationary and we didn't think that would work, when you put good players around him, he's still going to provide for you. Hard-working players. Right. We've, dis- we've discussed that's, this on the pod in yeah. reaction to like the Tottenham game, uh, the Bournemouth game, some other games that were played just before the season was suspended. Um, but the player I mentioned at the beginning of uh, this discussion of how coronavirus ex- uh affects these contracts is uh, Willian is probably the biggest free agent at Chelsea, uh, spent the longest time there of anyone in the squad right now. He's been there since 2014, I want to say. Barcelona think he's the next best player in the world. (laughs) (laughs) He's been linked plenty of times, probably uh, only less than Eden Hazard to Real Madrid. He's been linked to clubs like uh, PSG and Barcelona, pretty much every window. Yeah. And his contract is coming to an end at the end of uh, the, this current season. If it, when it would have been played out, uh, he was demanding a three-year contract. Chelsea would only uh, guarantee a two-year contract when Chelsea famously only give uh, one-year contracts to players over the age of 30. It's a policy they've, I, I guess... Uh, followed. Well, yeah. they followed for the most part, but they broke it last year when they signed David Luiz to a two-year contract and then sold him in reaction yeah. to that. So it, it's kind of hard to figure out like how Chelsea feel about players over the age of 30. So uh, Giroud was able to accept a one-year contract a year ago and is open to it again, I think, this year. He's clearly, he's clearly a club same. guy, though. He's clearly a club man. He's, he's shown that I'm obviously a World Cup winning striker. I'm... I have oh, the right. Sure. I've yeah, Giroud. Sorry, he's the right to look at interest from other clubs. But we all know that if he gets the chance to play for us, he wants to play, and he'll he will want will want to stay and sign that extension. So he's lived I, in London for almost a decade. Right, like, he's London's used to his, it. His home. Yeah, and and that's I think a big talking point for tracking back to William. We don't know how these contracts are going to be treated. If the season ex- is extended and pos- or I guess postponed into the summer. I think common sense, this is just me acting off my own personal common sense, I think common sense would demand that those contracts, there's some sort of blanket uh, statement from UEFA and FIFA saying that those contracts are pushed back into to a certain date. I don't know what that date would be. I don't know how reasonable it would be to pull that off. Yeah. But if we're going to play the rest of the season during the summer, we can't have teams halfway like four or five games into that 10 game span that we have to make up a lot of we can't have those players becoming free agents we can't have i'll say this as a chelsea fan we can't have hakeem ziech coming to chelsea on july 1st and just jumping into the end of the premier league season it's not fair there will have to be there will have to be adjustments to all the protocols that are in place from fifa and individual associations but 
the question is which contracts have like special clauses and special clauses have become more prevalent in recent years in players contracts we were there are different contingency plans for if like regardless of like injury or whatever un, unexpected event was were to occur i wonder which contracts which do and don't have clauses that that may kind of provide an, an, an alternative for this type of situation because regardless the powers that be are going to have to find a way to adjust because there's going to be a different transfer window at different times at which games are played and it's all going to affect each other yeah so we're going to keep an eye on uh, players like that they all seem to be senior players uh, that's usually the transfer uh, discussion at Chelsea those players coming into the end of their 20s and in their 30s how like like I said Chelsea are only willing to offer one maybe two year contracts to players that uh, players like William and David Luiz, who obviously have a history at the club and have been there and committed so much of their careers there, being offered a two year contract as a player over the age of thirty at Chelsea is a frankly a huge honor in terms of how Chelsea usually treat their uh, transfer dealings. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But I mean, I personally don't know if William will end up. Uh, staying with the squad for the following season. I, I, I think after a Players' Tribune article that I uh, read from him about how much he enjoys love, life in London, about how decisive he was on his decision that Jose Mourinho was his favorite coach of all time that he's had in his career. Yeah. Arsenal's there, obviously a possibility, but I think you, <laughs> despite some... the song that he hates Tottenham, I think you have to be looking at the uh, idea of William moving to Tottenham on a free transfer. Which yeah. for them, I think, would be a great move. You don't have to spend anything on him. You you pay his wages, probably hefty wages, but he's a player Mourinho knows and is familiar with and tried to get to move to Man United. Don't, don't you think that Bergvine is kind of a overly similar signing that they got recently? That they have a, they have plenty of pacey outside kind of shifty players like that. I don't know if they do. They're, they're missing a solid replacement to Kane. That that should be their main priority. Cool. But I wonder with William if he'll want to go overseas because even though he seems very acclimated to London, he has the restaurant. He's been here for a long time. He's kind of a mainstay in the Chelsea starting eleven. Regardless of all that, I wonder if he will want to kind of see if he can test himself in a different league, particularly with another world class club. So that yeah, that, that, you never know. I, I don't I don't think that he will want to do that. But if he does, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So just to like talk out a little bit more of the reasoning why I have uh, pointing towards William staying in London and going to one of Chelsea's main rivals and. And I, I mean, I've been a big detractor of his before. I don't even mean it as a way to, I guess, you know, criticize him. I think it's kind of reasonable once you read that article on the Players' Tribune website about he's a very religious guy. There's a very tight knit uh, Brazilian religious community in uh, in London from players all over the city, from uh, Lucas Moura at Tottenham to. Uh, Felipe Anderson at West Ham, you know, all these Brazilian players are, are and David Luiz, he obviously played with at Chelsea and owns a restaurant with in London. And even though David Luiz moved on, they're, they're still undoubtedly yeah, they're great tight. friends. Yeah. The Brazilians aren't as committed to this, you know, uh, English idea. Club <laughs> commitment. You know, yeah, the, the English or London idea of you shouldn't be playing for more than one of these teams. It's kind of an anomaly. I, I'm, I fully expect William to prioritize his and his family's uh, current lifestyle 
over moving like maybe back to Brazil or even to Barcelona if they're still interested. It's mm. I think well, Brazilians just historically have been kind of disinterested with the Premier League and the style of play and what they value think, in players and what they value as I think as we're starting football. to see that change though. Think of all the great yeah. Brazilians in the Premier League. Gabriel Jesus, mm-hmm. Roberto Firmino, Fabinho yeah. moved to the Premier well, League. I recently. think we're seeing an integration of technical ability and that being valued higher. As opposed yeah. to just power, speed, outworking your opponent, so that like more general shift is definitely favoring Brazilians. But I, I, it would be interesting to see William tested in another league. So I'm operating off the assumption that one of William or Pedro will leave Chelsea this summer. Pedro, or, though. Well, Pedro signed a two-year contract before this current season or the season that just was suspended. Yeah. So he has another year on his deal for the next season. I would probably value William higher than Pedro in terms of like the impact he can give to a team, even though, I, again, I have never been William's biggest fan. Nor have I. Yeah, I, I think Pedro, he's had some good performances recently, but I don't think those uh, overcome the dozens of headless chicken performances he's had before that where he just runs aimlessly and kind of gets lost. Uh, it's he still has some those... special qualities, but I, I just don't think that he really fits into the work rate, the work rate and the attention to detail that's required in our new system. I think that William or be, Pedro, 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 like he just, he's still got that, those special elements to his game where he can make something happen in certain situations. But I don't, I don't think that he's the, any sort of person to rely on in terms of like the work rate we need in terms of pressing and all of those right. things. William, William fits the bill more. I don't even. think it's it's Pedro's fault in that regard. Pedro, he's older. He's older. Pedro five years ago would be perfect for this team. 27, 28-year-old yeah. Pedro. Yeah. But at this point in his career, player. it's just not the right match. I think that now is a logical time to sell him, even though he's a year left. There are plenty of teams that could use Pedro right now. Yeah. And playing so in Spain. I, I think, yeah, of course. And I think it would make sense for both parties. You know, it would make sense for him, the other club, and for us. Because we really should prioritize William in this time. Because we don't know what we're getting in the immediate future besides the edge. I don't know. I think the one thing that could be the catalyst uh, behind whether William or whether Chelsea are more committed to the idea of re-signing William or not would be how realistic it is that they can get Jaden Sancho of this offseason. If they can get Jaden Sancho this offseason, I think you let William walk. And I know Jaden Sancho, huge, like generational talent. Chelsea will have far more competition for him than they had for the likes of Hakim Ziyech and uh, Christian Pulisic and their, their recent good signings. Sancho is going to be a dogfight to convince him and his agent that Chelsea is the right club for him to go to. But we have the money, though. No, I mean Chelsea. Chelsea have the money. We're in the race, but of course, if we can make that signing, but it's not just about money. There are clubs that are disqualified for not having the money. I'm talking about the clubs that have the money to spend on a, a generational talent like Jaden Sancho and are willing to spend it on him, and how good of a job they're uh, they're going to be willing to do at convincing him that their project is the one that he needs to invest in and trust his career to. So do because you, Liverpool have been introduced to the conversation recently. I, so I don't, I've heard that as well, but I don't really take Liverpool as a serious contender because in terms of the money that you're going to have to put down on the line, the numbers that are being talked about, I don't think Liverpool, I don't think it makes sense for them to put that money on the line. It makes sense for us and it makes sense for United. But what do you think makes us the better sell to Jadon Sancho over United? What sets us above him, above United? 
so I think a lot of it is kind of subjective. I, I'll admit, I have no idea how committed Jaden... No one really does, apart from him. How committed he may be to the idea of signing with one club in England versus another. We don't even know if he's considering going somewhere like Real Madrid or Barcelona if they came in for him out of nowhere. You know, we, we don't know. He was willing to go to Germany as a teenager. Maybe he's willing to stay on the continent and go just skip the whole English experience and go to one of the super clubs on the continent. What makes me think that Chelsea have as good a shot as, as any uh, of the English teams, uh, which would be, I guess, Manchester United. I definitely think Chelsea are the better option over Manchester United. And uh, Liverpool or back to Manchester City, where he, of course, was part of their academy and left once they signed Leroy Sané because he didn't see a way into the team. Yeah. So uh, if Leroy Sané leaves to Bayern Munich, then Manchester City are right back in the conversation of him returning. But I think there is kind of a feeling amongst most, most journalists, amongst most pundits, that Chelsea and United are the most likely options. Because Real spent so much money recently... I don't think Barcelona would be willing to put that much money into an English player. Like they don't have that history of being willing to invest in players. Get that are English. Gary Lineker, man, come on. <laughs> oh yeah, how long ago was that? <laughs> well, but Thirty but, years ago. But I just think essentially Chelsea and United are the front runners for this. And United have been on an upswing recently, and we've been, you know, peaks and troughs. We've been in rocky times. I just, I, I wonder what sets us above United. I think. I think he would understand that Frank Lampard is a better footballing mind than Solskjaer. This might be our implicit bias as Chelsea fans. Perhaps it is. But I do genuinely... Solskjaer's 3-0 against Lampard. He is, but I do think inherently Sancho will recognize the fact that Lampard possesses the ball much more than Solskjaer does. He He establishes the high press much more effectively than Solskjaer does. And he doesn't rely on the sort of smash and grab counter attacking tactics that lamp that uh Solskjaer usually yeah, does yeah in the big games I mean Solskjaer is not you know a, a one-trick pony he usually relies on those counter-attacking philosophies during games but he doesn't hold the ball anywhere near as much as Lampard has been able he, to he doesn't his Manchester United team I think it's fair to say has not uh shown a commitment to possession as as much as Chelsea have, as much as Frank Lampard's Chelsea have. And sometimes that commitment to possessing the ball and uh, prioritizing possession over everything else in an attempt to control the game has been our downfall. But Three they, of those times have been against Manchester right, United. But they've so, adopted that sort of Atletico Madrid profile where they struggle against teams that are yeah. worse than them and thrive against teams that are better than them because they're set up in that manner to sit back, set a low block, and then hit you on the counter. But that's not going to work over the course of a season where you're playing teams that are have lower quality players than you. So that's going to be a solution Solskjaer will have to figure out. Lampard already knows what he's doing. He's just kind of perfecting and tweaking the elements to make it better. The way With Klopp, younger players. With younger players and obviously, hopefully, with more talent coming in. So I think Sancho will probably look at that difference, the difference in possession and how close they are into completing how they want to play and hopefully pick Chelsea over United. But we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, there's, of course, the rumors that Jaden Sancho was a Chelsea fan growing up. Uh, We can say that now, but at the end of the day, he chose to go to Manchester City. They gave him the opportunity to join their academy, and he... He'll make the smartest decision. Despite being a London boy, that happens fairly often. But, um, I mean, I remember hearing similar 
<laughs> rumors about Paul Pogba back when he was interested in leaving Juventus. So I, I'm not I'm not clinging too much to those in terms of uh, keeping my hopes up. What keeps my hopes up is the fact that Jaden Sancho has literally grown up and played against, I, I would say, half of this current Chelsea team. And he will be international teammates with, I think, the majority of his Chelsea teammates if he joins. They know each other. They're boys. And that's obviously, you know that they're in his DMs right now. They're hitting him up. They're calling him. Hell, they're, they're playing <laughs> for England that the senior level, Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Vikayo Tomori, eventually Reese James will be there in the, in the next uh, year or so. There's plenty of Chelsea youngsters coming through that have already made debuts for England alongside Jaden Sancho. I mean, hell, you can even throw Ross Barkley in there if yeah, you want. But, like he's but, played for England, buddy. especially our younger. And they're New York all players. in his ear, and he's seeing this upward trajectory and this promise that this young Chelsea team have shown. He's played against these youngsters and was honestly, I hate. I'm, I'm not trying to shout on Jaden Sancho. I love him as a player, but his Manchester City teams at youth level. Would get worked by Chelsea teams. Hudson Odoi, Hudson Odoi, uh, Connor Gallagher, Mason Mount, Fikayo Tomori, like all these amazing players. Manchester City were a great team at youth level in their own right, along with like Phil Foden and players. But Chelsea would usually still win those games. So he's seeing those players, uh, these players make the leap just maybe a few months behind him because he's obviously gone to Germany and absolutely. Uh, blown the spot up. Been a shooting amazing. star, yeah. yeah. So I'm holding out a lot of hope that Jaden Sancho is uh, willing. And I think like, Chelsea absolutely have the money to spend it on him. At this point, it's just a matter of how, uh, which project he's more committed to. And I think I'm pretty confident he'll end up picking Chelsea. I think his past relationship with all of these players are young players that have made their England debuts. The fact that he's played with them and all of these different types against them and with them games growing up he has a long history with a lot of our players so he probably has an even better understanding of what's going on and the actual trajectory of the club than even we do obviously because he knows these players personally and i can only suspect that they're personally recruiting him and telling him we've got a project here that we're all confident in you would fit perfectly into it but the question is if he comes into the the mix in chelsea do we have to get rid of william yes i think so too I think so, absolutely. And the experienced player you keep around because he's already on a contract for uh, one more year, is, like I said, is Pedro, who is you know obviously won more trophies by himself than anyone else in the in the team. Don't you think we could get rid of both William and Pedro though? Because we will have Pulisic, Hudson Odoi, we could Jaden Sancho. We could we could list off the options that we could have without. Without Mason Mount William. can play out wide. We have plenty of options we, out wide. We, we could list the options that that without William and Pedro would still be very viable options. But I think there is something that's not quite quantifiable that comes with continuity. And you know, if William leaves, if you know he, he's not committed to signing anything less than three years, then you keep Pedro. Uh, you play him enough in FA Cup and League Cup games and. Uh, yeah, you know the odd Premier League game substitution performance. But also, here and there. It, like having you a player like teach. having a decorated player like Pedro in the dressing room also gives a little bit of con- like a little bit of confidence to those younger players in a way. He'll be able to give them everything from advice to just kind of that implicit confidence where they're going into a game knowing that they're playing with one of the players that was on the great Spain teams. Yeah, won the just, World Cup with Spain. Exactly, like a special player. Like, I won agree multiple with you. Champions there has to be a certain Barcelona. element of continuity up top. But 
I mean, that could also be carried on if we keep Giroud. Like, Giroud could be the perfect guy to continue that contract. But, but why not keep Giroud for the, the striker? I just core, don't see Pedro being used that much. And then using Pedro as the, you know, experienced player who can lead a group of Christian Pulisic, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Hakim Ziyech. That's yeah. that's the group right now. There's rumors of players like Jeremy Boga coming back but from... Uh, Mount can play out wide as well. We just have so many options out wide that I do think personally that we could afford to get rid of both William and Pedro but obviously yeah. continuity will play a factor. We'll see. I'll probably I'll probably lean towards uh, the opposite of that of having one of those two stick around but the next section I think we wanted to hit on with the Chelsea team we're talking big picture here because obviously no one knows what tomorrow is going to bring at this point. Uh, Long term. Now more than ever but you know if we're talking uh, this season's over and, you know, maybe Chelsea are somehow included in the uh, the Champions League qualification for next year since they've been sitting in fourth. And United aren't. Then. Since, <laughs> I think we've been sitting in fourth since October, since that eight-game win streak we had in the league. So, yeah. uh, you know, sitting in fourth currently, we don't know how that's going to end up uh, going, but... There are, plenty, not, there are plenty of squad questions, though. Like, we just discussed a whole bunch of them of, you know, how does a, bringing in a world-class talent like Jaden Sancho affect the, the, the front line of Chelsea and who leaves and stays. But th- there's more talent and options at midfield currently for Chelsea. And uh, I would anticipate going into uh, whenever the start of next season happens uh, than, frankly, ever before. There's... Uh, I've discussed. I've I've made the statement plenty of times before on this podcast, especially when picking in favor of Chelsea for uh, big games. That Chelsea's best midfield three currently, I think, is probably as good as anyone except Manchester City and uh, maybe yeah. Liverpool. I think probably as where, good as Liverpool, but where Chelsea can field a mid uh, a midfield of Kovacic, Jorginho, and Kante, and you know that works really well in a, a little bit more of a defensive game plan. We can also switch in one of Jorginho or Kovacic. We can switch them out for uh, Mason Mount. There's obviously been the really pivotal Ruben Loftus-Cheek injury that's kept him out until uh, he's only just come back to training in the last month and been playing some development games to try and get his fitness back. He was a huge player for Chelsea last season, contributed something like 13 goals in all competitions, uh, five or six in the Premier League. He was a, a far more productive player on the score sheet than people really... I guess, stepped up and gave him credit for. But him coming back and perhaps having an influence on on these last couple games of the season, if the season does pick up, is, is a huge factor. And then we've got some lone players that we have to talk about and some academy players. And Ross Barkley. <laughs> there's just, there's so many midfield options uh, that it's almost kind of hard to begin to understand how we're going to use everybody. And I think... Can we, from, can we from close the, the book on Ross Barkley? We, I hope we can. But I just think from what we saw from Ruben Loftus-Cheek at Crystal Palace and then under Sarri at Chelsea, he obviously thrives in that more attacking midfield role. He's got the technical ability along with his athleticism and size. He's a force to be reckoned with, and he thrives in the Premier League, and we, we know that for you, a fact. You notice him but as soon as he steps on a field. You, you before, see him and you go, oh my god, who is that tank? As much as, as I don't love Ross, before we write him off, can we reconsider the fragility of Ruben Loftus-Cheek? Like, he might show up and play 10 amazing games and then just be out for, you know, six months. Well, that's where I think current Chelsea low knee, and 
I think, as good a bet uh, as any to be a, uh, I don't know about world-class player, but a really solid, hard-working midfield player in Chelsea's midfield, Connor Gallagher, currently out on loan at Swansea. He had the first half of his uh, first professional season uh, on loan at Charlton, scored four or five goals from midfield. Unreal. You know, provides a bunch of assists. He's been recalled and sent out to Swansea to play with a couple other Chelsea loanies and Liverpool loanies and, and done just as well, if not better, there in a more attacking side. It's unclear yet whether he's going to be uh, recalled and uh, at the end of this uh, season, whenever it ends, and sent out on another loan, maybe to a Premier League side. But I, I think if you consider Ruben Loftus-Cheek's fragility, and I think it's fair to say at this point, uh, that needs to be taken into account when planning for the season. If Ruben's in your midfield, it, it's it's pretty much a fact by now. He's not going to be healthy for the full season. He always picks up injuries here and there. He's, he's got going to problems. miss. He's going to miss at least 30-40% of the season. So you just have to kind of assume that. Because regardless of how big and strong he seems, this man just seems to get injured every time he takes a knock. So, so I would be in the camp of, you know, keeping Ruben around and uh having Connor Gallagher come back from loan. He's going to be 20 when he returns from his loan. Had a full season of championship level uh, under his belt at two different clubs. I'm not sure whether he will be ready right off the bat for Chelsea, but you reintegrate him into the first team squad. Once things get a bit dicey and injuries start to play up, I think he takes Ross Barkley's minutes and you sell high on how well Ross Barkley has been playing of late. Yes, yeah. It has to be this said. Is the perfect he's time. been playing really well. It's the perfect time to sell high on Ross Barkley and I think Gallagher has shown enough on his loan spells to prove that he's a decent enough replacement where he provides enough of the attacking quality that Ross Barkley did. And to far be, more defensive quality. Right. And, and a higher ceiling in terms of his potential because he's much younger of course. So... He deserves that chance, and I think now is the perfect time to sell on Ross. And the last point I want to hit upon with the midfield is that I think there's been substantial and consistent enough rumors uh, over the last three months or the last couple months uh, ranging into that January transfer window, linking players uh, in our midfield, namely N'Golo Kante and Jorginho, away from the club this summer or whatever this offseason is. I, I, I I keep using that disclaimer, but uh, whatever the offseason occurs between this current season and the next one, there there seems to be very significant links between uh, Jorginho specifically going uh, and joining Mauricio Sarri at uh, Juventus and N'Golo Kante, who's suffered a very injury-plagued season when he's been available. He's been good, not the great world-class player that we know him as. It's It's a tough one, but... If one of those players was to leave, and this is assuming if Ross Barkley stays, he has a contract, he could he could stay if Frank Lampard is like so many other English people and overvalues him <laughs> and decides to keep him. But if one of those two players, Jorginho or Kante, left, which one would you be most comfortable with leaving? I honestly, at this point in time, would be more comfortable with Kante leaving just because of what Jorginho means to the team. I've been saying for months that I think Jorginho should be established as the captain of the squad. Because obviously there was so much criticism of him under Sar- like during the Sari season, and when Sari left, 
he was left as Sari's supposed, you know, poster boy for his style of play, and he had to prove himself independently of Sari, and he did that, and he won over all of the hearts and minds of the Chelsea fans, and I think that he's proven to be our penalty taker, one of our key leaders on the field, and one of our generals, and Frank clearly relies on him in a similar way that Maurizio did, so I think it would be awful to lose either either of them, but I think it would be smarter to let N'Golo Kante go, because... Regardless of the his recent injuries, his reputation precedes him. Everyone internationally holds Kante in a high esteem, and we would get a lot of money for him. I think regardless of his recent injuries, there are plenty of world-class clubs that would spend close to top dollar on Kante. But I think Jorginho, just in terms of pound for pound, how much he means to our team, he means more right now. I can't believe I'm about to do this. I can't believe I'm about to launch into this, because... <laughs> I don't know anyone other than myself that has been as big of a proponent of Jorginho, his style of play, the little things he does that knit things together so intricately that maybe go unnoticed by... It ties everything together. Yeah, it's not something that jumps off off the field at you as you're watching unless you're looking for it. But he is such an intelligent player and I've loved him for that ever since his Napoli days. But a part of me thinks that if <laughs> since the the emergence, I think we can say even after two games, since the emergence of a player like Billy Gilmore, I don't think you can argue since that that letting go a proven world class player like N'Golo Kante would affect the team as badly as you know Jorginho leaving. Like I I love Jorginho. I, I if he stays, I'm fully behind the decision. But I think with players like N'Golo Kante, you hold on to them at all costs until you're 100% certain that you're, you can't get anything else out of them. It's not like N'Golo Kante's contract is coming up uh, or is coming to an end anytime soon. He just signed an extension last year uh, for five years. So uh, keep him, hold on to him. If, if someone like PSG or Barcelona or Real Madrid come up with a huge offer yeah, for him. PSG then, yeah, are the exactly the type of people that would come in for a huge offer for him, even though he just had a bunch of injuries. Like Usually you want to wait until one of these key players has a good run of form so you can sell them on the high. But he is such like a prestigious reputation internationally. French international, of course. The French, yeah, the World Cup in particular just gave him that reputation that the top clubs will still want him regardless of that. And obviously, we need to think this through. This will be one of the key decisions because once Hazard left, he was our best player. He was he he is yeah. to this day our best player, and it will obviously leave us with a defensive vulnerability in midfield. But then you got to think we weren't even using him in a defensive capacity that much recently. So we, we, I, we I were. think we I were think, just initiating the the defensive phase of the game higher up the field and asking Golo Kante to be a part right. of that. He, this has been a discussion since the yeah. Sari days <laughs> and seems to have disappeared since Sari left, which, you know, completely bamboozled me because N'Golo has been playing the same position under Frank Lampard. It disappeared because Conte proved he could do it. Well, no, I, I don't even think people thought that he proved he could do it. I think they just, uh, you know, pigeonholed Sari, in, uh, Mauricio Sari, into this uh, idea or this, uh, you know, character that he, you know... He himself pigeonholes players into roles or positions that he wants from them, and sometimes you know gets it wrong in his his deployment of those players. Franks continue to play him uh, in Golo Kante there, and when he's been healthy, 
I haven't seen him play badly. He's had a couple of great games uh, still playing in that uh, that uh, right midfield area of the 4-3-3, exactly where he was playing for Sarri. I just think with the emergence of Billy Gilmore, it's the absolute catalyst that I, I think Billy Gilmore already at the age of 18 that was has, my question. has shown that he can give you the influence in possession, maybe not the influence in leadership because he doesn't have that experience that Jorginho has, but that influence in possession and the influence even more so than Jorginho right now in uh, defensively that makes you think maybe Jorginho is a little bit more disposable at the right price. I, I'm a Gilmore believer, 100%, but I don't know ne- like if it's the right time. I don't know. I think it might be one season too soon to make that step, especially considering what Jorginho provides you in terms of the X factor, the experience. He understands the connection between the defensive phase and the offensive phase. And he's that, Frank's that partnership. on-field general. So Actually, you know, what, as you were saying that initially, I, I wanted I wanted to cor- not correct you, but I wanted to give my opinion on that. I don't think it's Jorginho anymore. Jor- Jorginho was very much fulfilling that captain on the field role under Sarri. I think this year, it's been obviously Aspilicueta, the very obvious choice as captain. But in terms of uh, imposing... Frank's idea of how to play the game, I think it's been Kovacic. And Kovacic has been undoubtedly Chelsea's player of the season. He will win it's those been the awards. the most improved, for sure. Most improved, but he was that good at Real Madrid, he just didn't get the opportunities. And we all knew he had that. End. And under Sarri, he was asked to play a, a role, a far more attacking role that he wasn't comfortable with. But dropping him and Jorginho into midfield together, playing someone like Mason Mount or uh, Pulisic as a central number 10 with Jorginho and, uh, and Kovacic behind them, especially earlier in the season, those two had a chemistry right. that was so, undeniable. So with that, but Kovacic was the pivot, pivotal point of that. But so with that assumption, would that not make you more comfortable with going into a match day with your starting 11, having Kovacic and Jorginho lying deep with that great chemistry? That could almost justify the sale of N'Golo Kante. Because I think N'Golo Kante has looked good under Frank, but he doesn't seem like he's fully fit into the system and understood the philosophy the way Kovacic has. Kovacic has taken to it arguably the best out of all of our midfield players, but Jorginho is still, in terms of communication, one of the best communicators and organizers on the field, as well as a motivator. He has all of those elements to him that I don't think can be replaced by Gilmore in the short term. Yeah. So I think, I think I mean, ideally, for, as a Chelsea fan, you want us to keep Jorginho, Kovacic, and Kante. But to me, if we can let go of Kante for a, a big price, like a big world-class price, I would accept that. I would just like to keep Jorginho because he he seems very committed to the project that's going on right now. But then you're asking one of your midfielders, other than Kovacic and Jorginho, to make a very significant step forward, whether that's Mason Mount, whether that's ZH coming in uh, newly who's capable of playing as a number 10 in midfield. Or Loftus-Cheek. Loftus-Cheek. Loftus-Cheek is definitely capable of filling that kind of uh, production and that kind of work rate. But it's the the injuries that make you worried about him. So uh, it's it's a really tough problem for, you know, the Chelsea hierarchy to uh, answer. But uh, they're going to have to whenever this offseason occurs because... I think at the minute, midfield is one of the areas where, frankly, we might have even too much uh, 
talent because coming through the academy, there's some players right now, including uh, some names like Xavier Simons and uh, and Lewis Bate that are absolutely shining in midfield. And there's a couple other names after that that you could throw in. But uh, those players and Tino Angerin, who got his yeah. Premier League debut recently, that- there's so many midfield players at Chelsea's academy that are going to be chomping at the bit if they have one good loan season coming up to get into the Chelsea first team. So and that's if we don't make those high-profile sales of any of our main starting 11 players, that immense depth at midfield, I wonder if that will kind of influence the decision-making of Frank Lampard in terms of the formation he selects. Because we, we might end up playing in a heavier reliant, with a, play, a heavier reliance on the midfield players in our formation just because of the fact that we have so much talent there. We haven't even factored in uh, the idea of Reese James playing in center midfield. Which he you was, still believe in that? <laughs> I mean, in a pinch, he can absolutely do it. I mean, he did it for the first time for Chelsea uh, against Everton in that 4-0 win, and he played it for the second half of the season for uh, Wigan in the championship last season. He's They even made him captain at Wigan for a couple of those games. He's that influential. He got club player of the year. Yeah. he's. I mean, I would love him much more out on the right, but, you know, he's still an option in midfield. And that's how... He's a problem regardless. That's how how stacked Chelsea are, frankly, at midfield uh, in terms of options and uh, different combinations they can can try out. Um, What about our back four, though? The back four is an interesting one. Because, obviously, the, the story with Chelsea... I think ever since that last time Chelsea won the league under Antonio Conte, the season after that, uh, we saw a lot of the defensive problems arise uh, that had kind of been an issue uh, in that second or in that season after Mourinho won the league. Uh, Mourinho obviously got fired. Conte was brought in for the beginning of the next season with plenty of defensive issues. He seemed to have fixed it, playing a three-four-three and stabilizing the squad and. You know, committing more players into the defensive third of the uh, of the of the field, but now that Chelsea have transitioned to this more up tempo, attacking, higher line style, it's come with a lot of growing pains. For uh, frankly, four or five very qualified, very talented defenders in uh, Antonio Rudiger, Andreas Christensen, Kurt Zuma. Vicaro Tomori, and if he's able to come back in in the future, Ethan Ampadu. The, the, those players, in their own right, when you look at them and you watch them uh, in a vacuum, you can see plenty of great qualities from them. But when you're watching the team on a week-to-week basis, you're not seeing the uh, continuity, uh, which could be you know chalked up to Frank not playing in uh, one specific partnership or one back four and goalkeeper for a long enough span of time for them to really build that continuity. Uh, but the defensive issues have been an issue not only this season, the previous season under Sarri, uh, lapses of concentration. It's something that's led to Chelsea being linked with plenty of centre-back options uh, across Europe and beyond uh, for the last year or two, where Despite having these great players that I, I personally, if you gave me uh, the option to sign any of these players for my uh, my team playing at like a Premier League level, I would be biting off your hand to get any one of those four or five players that I just mentioned. But which one? Which one do we let go? Out of Tomori, well, no, 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 but that's Zuma. Not, that's not how I was trying to frame it. The way I was trying to frame it is that there needs to be an upgrade at centre-back. The question 
is that which one of these talented, undeniably talented and promising players would you be more or most willing to let go of yeah, exactly. to bring in someone who is far more proven? And let's let's set the standard with someone like Kalidou Koulibaly. I've I've waxed lyrical about him on previous yeah. pods. I've said that he could go into Manchester United, he could go into Tottenham, he could go into Arsenal. He would change their team. He's the kind of player that I want in at Chelsea right now. I don't care how old he is. I don't Koulibaly, care if it's a hundred yeah. million to get him at the age of twenty nine or thirty. I just say get a player like that in. Figure the rest out. He is a short term solution to a problem that. You know, if you have a Kalidou Koulibaly and a couple other center backs to rotate with him, he'll figure it out. He's yeah. the leader. He will figure it out. The Koulibaly signing would be an absolute fantasy for us. It would be a near Van Dyke type signing where he would have such a huge impact on our back line, especially with the younger players at fullback. I think he would just have a, a long-lasting impact in terms of our defensive solidity. But regardless of who Frank favors in that situation, there's probably going to have to be one of those four that will have to go. I think, personally, just from watching how we play, it would have to be either Zuma or Christensen. Christensen has clearly struggled with the physicality of the league. When games I, get I into high-pressure situations... I disagree. He's been, he's been absolutely bodied and just out-muscled by people in a bunch of different situations when he's been trusted by Frank. So, you know, the, you know what I just mentioned about Frank not... Over the course of this entire season, he has not applied a continuity to the, to the defense. And I think that can be something you can attribute Chelsea having poor defensive performances over the, uh, over the long term of this season. But over the past, I want to say, two months, uh, from the middle of January until the season being suspended, Frank showed like a renewed trust in Andreas Christensen and a trust in... A Andreas Christensen, Antonio Rudiger, uh, center back partnership that he hadn't shown in any uh, center back partnership in a, a back four. Uh, he's obviously tinkered with three at the back sometimes, and that brings Tamori into the conversation, and Zuma has played some other times. But the most committed that he's shown uh, to two center backs in a back four in a 4 3 3 has been Rudiger and Christensen since the middle of January until the season was suspended. Christensen had an, like a, a broken nose, he had an injury that. Yeah, because he got that, bodied by Martial, who then scored over him. I'm just saying, he's clearly no, struggled in my eyes well, with no, the physicality. I was going to go the opposite way. Christensen, for me, has shown improvements in leaps and bounds in, uh, in this period since the turn of the new year. The player of those two that was the weaker has been Antonio Rudiger. I think you tried to sell Antonio Rudiger. Oh, I disagree. Or, I was going to say, if, or, if you believe in Christensen... Or Kurt Zuma. If you, one yeah. of Rudiger or Zuma. If you I was going to say, given your confidence in Andreas Christensen, which I'm willing to abide by because he does have a, a higher ceiling, obviously. He's younger. He has a lot of experience in Bundesliga. He obviously has a lot of good defensive anticipation and could still continue to improve. So I would be willing to be convinced to keep him. But my question is, do you think right now is the right time to sell Zuma? Because I think it's got to be one or the other. It's got to be Zuma or Christensen. And Zuma showed himself well earlier in the season, so there could definitely be some clubs that would be convinced to pay well for him. Yeah, I mean, I I think think of it the opposite way. I think it's a... No, no, I think it's a decision between Rudiger or Zuma. Because they are more similar, and 
Chelsea are, I mean, it's, it's clear by now, Chelsea are shifting towards a very clear style of play that includes ball possession. But it requires ball. athleticism and the ability to recover, which Zuma has shown over and over again under Frank. He's made a bunch of great recovery tackles. He's gotten back. He's been able to make the difference with the athleticism. I personally, I don't know if we have viewed it in different ways, but I think Andreas Christensen has struggled in some of those unsettled situations where just the X factor of athleticism and anticipation make the difference. I think he's he's been out-muscled and just outplayed in some of the situations. But given his intelligence on the field, I would be willing to let Zuma go because he's slightly older and has played well recently. Yeah, I mean, Zuma and Rudiger, to me, I, I think Rudiger has about two or three years uh, in age difference uh, over... Do you think Zuma. Rudiger is better on the ball, though? I honestly, I can't decide which one of Rudiger and Zuma I would be more, uh, I guess, open to keep. I think it would be Zuma because he's younger. No, he's, he's not as good on the, the ball. He's though. been at club at the club since eighteen. I, I think him and Rudiger, in terms of their ability on the ball, building from the back, it's a 50-50 neck and neck race for me. I I can't decide between the two of them. They both make big mistakes at significant times. Uh, I would lean towards selling uh, Rudiger, even though I would hate to give up an experienced player uh, if we could get like a ton of money for him. So my next but question again, we, is, we would need a replacement for that. My next question is, do we need to spend as much money as we would have to spend to get Koulibaly, that 100 million plus signing? Do we need to drop that kind of money when we have a prospect like Fikayo Tomori in our ranks already? Because we've seen Fakayo so, Tomori. So we no. know what he's capable of, and we know what he's going to become. There's so, not much question about So no, about if, you, if you frame the question differently, of which player of the two would you rather bring in during this offseason, Kaladu Koulibaly or Jaden Sancho? I, of course, will lean towards Jaden Sancho if that's realistic every single time. Uh, he, he's younger. I think he's more talented. He's gonna. He would have a far more uh, significant impact on our attacking output than uh, Koulibaly would have overall in our our defensive uh, uh, ability. We have enough talent of those out of those four players. If we end up with a Fikaro Tomori Christensen center back pairing next season, that's the ideal pairing to me. <laughs> that's the pairing that makes me go, I'm excited. Fikayo has mm. the recovery speed. Christensen has the ability on the ball. Fikayo is no slouch to on the me, ball either. To me, it's Rudiger and Fikayo, but I would still be okay with that because I do think Christensen is a smart enough center back to adapt to the league and continue to grow. So I'd be okay with that. Christensen, to me, I, I may have said it on the pod before, but he is the player that if you sell him this summer, he will go to Bayern Munich or uh, <laughs> Barcelona. Make or, you regret it. <laughs> and maybe not the first season, but a couple seasons after that, he'll be 26, 27, and he will be one of the five best center backs in the league. So who's behind our boys then? Willie Caballero? <laughs> <sighs> I don't think I can... I, don't, I can't come up with another club. Maybe it's because I'm so familiar with Chelsea, but I don't think I can come up with another club that is so stacked in every uh, phase of the game, from forward line to midfield to uh, d- defensive back four to goalkeeper, having the most expensive goalkeeper in uh, world football history in Kepar Arizabagala, but has so many questions in those phases regardless because there is so much uh, you know, competition. 
Keppa has been a, you know, a very high profile member of the team over the last month or so before the season was suspended because uh, up until those last two games, the Liverpool home game in the FA Cup and the Everton home game in the Premier League, Willie Caballero had been playing, I think, four or five games in a row in the Premier League, uh, three yeah. games in the Premier League. Keppa got played, benched. He played the Champions League against Bayern Munich. Uh, Keppa was benched after that Arsenal uh, result where we were up 2-0 mm. and uh, ended up drawing 2-2. Uh, so uh, there's been a ton of rumors about uh, Lampard being basically not sold on him and wanting to move him on in the summer and what player we would bring in. Are, are you still a Keppa fan? Are you still a believer in so, what he's got? I think it's a complicated situation. I think we brought him in and made him the most valuable goalkeeper you know, in the transfer market history. Right, and his, which, it was which his release comes, Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, right, but we Atletico, still paid that money. Atletico Bilbao don't uh, negotiate at all. They just set release but clauses, and if you're willing I to I do pay think them. that that fiasco that happened last season with Sarri was somewhat of a red flag in terms of his mentality and his... I'm talking about the League his, Cup his mindset. With, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, where, where he, he refused, refused to be subbed off, of course. So I think that was somewhat of a red flag, and I wouldn't be surprised if he and Frank are having some sort of a personal disagreement i hope that they can get through it i don't want us to sell him i want him to be the starter again because regardless of that terrible shot stopping percentage he had during the season for that run where it was just some sort of ridiculous stat where he let in like 80 percent of the shots that were taken on him over a run of games regardless of that i do think he has a lot of potential i think he can improve in his ball distribution i think his shot stopping is already high level he just had a bad little showing I think we need to give him more of a chance. I just don't see a full, almost forty-year-old Willie Caballero being our goalkeeper. Oh no! And I don't, and I don't see us spending money on anyone. So if we're, I think if, I think this is a long play by Frank. I think Frank's going to bring Capa back and use this to show him, like, hey, there are expectations. I will remove you. This isn't a game. This isn't one game or two games. I'm going to take you out for a long period of time. You know, as has occurred with plenty of other players around his age range. It's a, it's a good statement Zuma, Zuma is around the same age as uh, Keppa, And there's more competition in his places than there, there has been in, in, in Keppa's. But when Zuma has underperformed, he's been benched for a good few weeks while other players have been given an opportunity. And he's eventually brought back in when those players that replaced him messed up. Uh, and, you know... Willie Caballero, a very good deputy, backup goalkeeper, experience, good on the ball in possession. Uh, he was bound to make some mistakes at some point, and, you know, uh, he... Slow as molasses. <laughs> he, he opened the door enough to let Kepa back in for that FA Cup game. He got Kepa got the clean sheet in that game, got the clean sheet against Everton, was far more uh, commanding off his line, going to get crosses, which I'm wishing the, I'm wishing the best for Kepa. I think most Chelsea fans are as well. I, I hate to say it because I feel like most Chelsea fans have, you know, just sort of given up on Kepa and, and hope that That's we're going to move on. Though. He signed a seven-year contract a year and a half ago. Is that, so his, the, is that his fault, though? I think that's, at I think the that's end, Chelsea's fault. Well, yeah, no, it was... I don't know about Chelsea's fault. It was Chelsea's idea of showing a commitment to him. Like, like you're going to come to us from a La Liga club where you're not qualifying for Champions League... We're, our ambitions are far higher. We're going to pay you more. You're going to come here. We understand that you're a project. We're going to give you a seven-year contract. He has five years left on his deal after how, this how, year. How did you feel about his first season performance? I was far better I was than this year. I was satisfied, far better than I was this satisfied year. with it. But obviously, he is a different job to do this year. 
you know, and he hasn't fulfilled it as well. But I think he still could, you know, like he does have that job of a high possession team where but, you're not going to have that many but, shots but what, taken on you, but the shots that will be taken on you will be very good chances because we're open yeah. and we're going to be open unless we get that solid. But what, what have we learned since Kepo was benched and Willie Caballero came into the team? What do you think? I think we've learned that Willie Caballero is obviously a good distributor of the ball, but I think he also, even though he's a veteran, he doesn't have that much better of decision-making than Kepo. He still came off his line in times that didn't make sense, and he's clearly a less athletic, not as good of a ball stopper. Like, Kepa is a good shot stopper, and as he gets more and more experience in the Premier League, I think he's only going to improve. We at least owe, owe him one more of those seven seasons to see what he can do. Like, what are we going to do? Sell him and buy someone else? I just don't see that being. I, I was going to say sensible. the thing we learned most from uh, Kepa being benched and Caballero coming in is that we still conceded two, three, uh, two. It's goals a back a game. line problem. It's not a goalkeeper it, it, it's problem. It's an overall system issue, not a goalkeeping yeah. issue exclusively. Absolutely. Obviously, there have been mistakes or somewhat bad performances that have led to a very valid criticism of Kepa and of Caballero during his uh, short stint back in the squad. But it's it's an overall defensive issue that I think if you can try and fix it as a group, which, you know... Well, it's an inherent sport. threat in the way we play with our high back line. With one misplaced pass, all of a sudden, the opposing team has all the space in front of them. So... It takes certain types of players to be able to control those situations. Liverpool, for example, have the perfect players to control those situations. Even in chaotic, unsettled yeah. counter-attacking situations, they can still make the right decisions, set up properly, and diffuse those situations. So we just, I think it will take a signing at centre-back. I don't think what we have right now is good enough to compete, compete with Man City and Liverpool. But if we make a big signing and we play our cards right, I think we could get that solidity that would allow our midfielders and our stacked forward line to really just perform. And I'll say right now that the only uh, goalkeepers, that if uh, that if Chelsea spent big money on them, I would be okay with it. And obviously Kepa would move on if that happened. The only two I can think of would be Jan Oblak from Atletico Madrid. Oh, uh, nah, nah. What's your name? No, actually. <laughs> I think I would keep Kepa over Onana. The second one, actually, is Andre Testergen, who is going through a very highly publicized contract dispute with Barcelona at the minute. So that'll leave doors open for other suitors to come in. I don't know how real... Uh, he could just be playing that as a means of a negotiation tactic to get more money from Barcelona and being fully committed to the idea of staying there. Uh, so I, I'm not sure how... Man, we're talking about Chelsea like we're going to spend £300 million this year. <laughs> I mean, we might. We got hope we £50 do. million for uh, Alvaro Morata. We're getting £50 million for him this summer. We're, we're we, taking a walk to the we bank. We got £100 million for Eden Hazard. We got £50 million for Diego Costa a year or two ago. You know, we, we've, we've got players that we could possibly sell this summer to uh, fund other transfers. We're, we're in a, Chelsea are in a good position to... Uh, Make difficult decisions. Russian but, oil is doing well. But have the money and flexibility to make those in the hope that some academy players and young players make uh, further steps forward. But this has been fun. Uh, I, I've been missing football as much as I'm sure you guys have, Hugo. Uh, it's, it's It's been rough, but we're going we're gonna to be trying to come up with ideas for the podcast the next few weeks. I think we teased a few. 
uh, last week that we we could jump into maybe like Premier League Hall of Fame stuff. Yeah, uh, that's been announced recently and, and could be happening uh, relatively soon. We're gonna get creative with the content, but just weird. stay inside, weird. stay healthy. No, 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 weird. No, no, <laughs> not weird. You're a guest. Nah. Hugo, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Girls' Club. I appreciate it. One love. Optic shells. Blue is the color. Football is the game. Come on, Chelsea. You can follow us on social media at asmoss92 at Hugo Mossfire. Is that on uh, Instagram? On both. Instagram, Twitter, okay. Uh, and of course, for Andrew and Javier, you can follow them at Andrew Passaro and at Javi Arev9. And the podcast socials is uh, at Ghost Skull Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. And until next time, see you. See you.